the big aha moment I had was realizing that I don't need to go find another thing to call my own. Um, my identity became less about the object of what I believe and more about the process of how I approach finding beliefs or my love for exploring the mystery became my identity instead of, oh, I believe this and that's what makes me me. I believe that and that's what makes me me. No, it's like, no, I am someone who likes to explore different beliefs and that is what makes me me. Hey there, I'm Anna Holtzman and this is From Chronic Pain to Passion. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and coach who helps passionate creatives like you learn how to heal from chronic pain and other symptoms so you can reclaim your energy and live the creative life of your dreams. In my past life, I was a disillusioned video editor working in reality TV and struggling with chronic migraine for over 10 years. But after I discovered the mind-body methods that I'll share with you on this podcast, I recovered from the chronic cycle and got back my creative spark. And I want that for you too. So let's get into it. Thank you so much for joining me on this chronic pain to passion journey. One of the things I really like doing on this podcast is having conversations with people who don't necessarily identify as someone who has experienced or worked with chronic pain, but they do have a story of transformation to tell that carries a lot of the same themes that show up in the chronic pain recovery journey. One of those themes is questioning our belief systems. If you grew up in a society that is influenced by the Western medical model, as I did, then you probably learned to view physical pain as totally separate from emotional pain. And it can be a real mind bender and even an identity shift as we embark on the path of mind-body healing and start to see our pain journey through a very different lens. Along the way, a lot of us find that questioning the belief system that we've held for most of our life is complicated and it can be quite challenging. Today, I got to speak with someone who knows a lot about questioning belief systems and she comes at it from a totally different starting point than chronic pain. My guest, Joy Vetterline, is a spiritual coach and writer who is engaged in reimagining life after faith. As a pastor's kid, a good Christian girl, a Bible college grad, and a former worship pastor, she now helps post-evangelicals to find freedom from oppressive religious programming, and to discover their own unique spiritual path. Joy lives in Orange County, California, with her husband and two children. I wanted to speak with Joy because I find that through having interdisciplinary conversations about topics like questioning our belief systems, we can zoom out and widen our understanding of a topic beyond what is accessible to us through just one type of lens. And as Joy shares with us her experience of questioning belief systems, I will weave it back to relating to the chronic symptom recovery journey for you. Joy, thank you so much for taking the time to join me here and connect with someone that you've never met before. We've never spoken before. (laughs) I reached out to you and I really appreciate you being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. I love meeting people doing good things out there. (laughs) So I'm really excited about the conversation that we're coming together to have today. And 
you are a person who's not working in the chronic pain field, mm-hmm. which is, is my work. But I um, found your work on Instagram and I just saw a lot of, to me, a lot of resonance with the work that we're doing, even though um, on the surface, very different subject matters. So would you like to share with this audience what it is that you do and who you help? Yes. And yeah, I, it's been really interesting. Let me just first say, since you've, um, since you invited me, I've been thinking more about the connection between chronic pain and the work I do, which is in the spirituality, um, sphere, I guess. Um, and it really is part of this like whole body, like our whole humanity. And this is just a point where we see the internal cross to the external. So I'm really interested to have our conversation today too. So yeah, I um, am a writer and a spiritual coach, um, and I help people who were uh, formerly evangelical Christians and have decided to leave that particular tradition of faith. And I just help them reimagine a new life and a new worldview after leaving that very particular and demanding way of living and believing and seeing the world. So my whole goal is to just help people find their own um, sort of inner truth, I guess you could say, and to feel confident to walk in it without all of the pressures put on them from an institutionalized belief system. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I'm, as I'm hearing you describe the work that you do, I'm being reminded of why I found resonance to my mind between the work that we're doing, you know, helping people find their own inner truth Mm -hmm. is absolutely one of the ways that I Mm -hmm. could describe how I view the work Mm -hmm. that I'm doing with folks um, on the path of recovery from chronic symptoms. Um, so yeah, it'll yeah. be really interesting for us to dive in. <laughs> and another thing that I resonated with about your work, like me, you came into the work that you're doing through your own personal experience, your own journey. And um, I wonder if you could share a bit about what it was that led you into doing this work. Yeah. So I spent most of my life as a very devout, active, and happy evangelical Christian. Um, I was my fa- in my family growing up. My dad was a pastor of a small Bible church, so I was a pastor's kid. That was my world. I didn't even realize there were other things you could believe besides this particular view of God through evangelical Christianity. Um, I was in youth group all through high school, um, was a very, you know, stereotypical good Christian girl. (laughs) I was trying to invite all my friends at high school to come to youth group with me and showed up to all of the, um, I don't know if you ever had these, but we had these like, see you at the poll days where like all the Christians would get gather around the flag and pray for the school. It was a thing. Um, (laughs) but Then I went on to go to a private Christian university for college. And after that, started working in a church and worked for churches and Christian organizations for the next 15 years. So it was a huge, it wasn't just a huge part of my life. It was my life. I didn't have anything in my life that wasn't completely enwrapped and entwined with my belief system. Um, but throughout that time, it was there were a lot of painful things that happened. Um, my dad, as a pastor, had a really pain, some painful experiences for him and for my family as a child. Um, I had you know ups and downs through my Christian college experience. I um, uh, formed a, that's a re- pretty formative time of life, and I formed a lot of like shame and guilt around my own, I guess, humanity um, had a lot of like, I was never reading the Bible enough. I was somebody who wanted to occasionally go out and have a drink at a bar with my friends. And I felt like I was such a heathen, as we would call it, for wanting to do that. Um, And just like, never felt like I was good enough, never felt like I was doing enough. 
And then when I got into my, you know, adulthood and started my career working in the churches, I really saw um, for my own part, just a lot of the dysfunction that was happening within, um, you know, I thought it was just the church I was a part of, but as I worked in different churches and met a lot of people and interacted with, um, you know, churches of the same style and format all across the country and world, I started noticing that there were patterns. Um, And so I started having some questions, but because my livelihood was attached to it, I couldn't question very hard. Like literally by the time I was, you know, I had two kids, I was, I had risen to, I was like on the executive leadership team of a church. I was a pastor over the worship department. I had people reporting to me and all of that, you know, me being able to take my kids to the doctor depended on me signing my name at the bottom of something called a statement of faith that says, this is what I believe about God, about life, about heaven, about hell, about the Bible. So there really wasn't room for me to like survive as a human and to question any of that. Um, But in a really painful way, that particular job came to an end. And with it, everything kind of crashed down. I lost, you know, that community sort of just abandoned us, I guess. They weren't particularly cruel. They were just gone. And that was really hard to fathom. Um, And there was, it wasn't like we lost our community, but I also lost this sense of identity and that I had always been someone who is a Christian who works in churches. And now I had to face the fact that I was tired of getting hurt in churches and I didn't want to work there anymore. And I kind of had to like, I realized I was going to have to figure out who I was outside of any Christian institution. And that really set me on a very long and involved journey towards self-discovery that has culminated here. <laughs> so I'll pause there. Yeah. There's probably that I probably yeah. just got to the more interesting part, but I'll pause there. Thanks for sharing that, Joy. And I, you might have seen because we're on video chat with each other that I was kind of furiously making notes while you were speaking because there is so much about your story. Your story is not about chronic pain, but there are many similar themes and you actually did use the word painful several times. Mm-hmm. I know that you're not talking about um, the some of the kinds of physical pain symptoms that I'm often working with people on, but um, you know, one of the the things about the mind body approach to chronic pain is that we're addressing pain in in its varied manifestations, which include emotional, which include social, which is a really key factor. Um, And you were talking about like that, that need to be good Mm -hmm. to, to, to kind of follow rules. And, and, you know, I was picking up on that kind of like perfectionism Mm -hmm. In the chronic pain, mind, body, chronic pain recovery world, something that's often talked about is this um, being a goodest, like mm-hmm. someone who always needs to be perceived as good mm-hmm. is something that's very common to folks who wind up with chronic stress that leads to, that can lead to chronic pain symptoms. Wow. Yeah. Is wow, that, that's is, fascinating. Yeah. I'm curious what, what you're impre- like. I've kind of been babbling a bit about my no, world. No, it's fascinating yeah. because I think in some way it's kind of remarkable that the, like the level of emotional turmoil I was experiencing, I probably was like very close to that manifesting in my body. Like it's sort of amazing yeah. that it didn't just because of the level of stress I was under and the I mean, we're talking like 30 years of my identity now is in question, like, how, yeah. or maybe it did, <laughs> like, I just didn't put the two together. But um, yeah, I think as I, as I have, um, you know, stepped away from saying, okay, here's a belief system that somebody else made, and I'm going to hold on to it and make it mine. I now view 
belief as something that is first and foremost an expression of who I am and that I have autonomy in what I believe. And that's been a huge um, paradigm shift for me. And and that's what I coach people in a lot in my practice. Um, I do actually have a question I'm really curious to ask. It's connected. So so with chronic pain, how how I look at it and many, many of my colleagues look at it similarly is there's there's chronic stress underlying it and it chronic stress often both causes and is perpetuated by this need to conform and be quote unquote good and you know comply with rules and sort of bend ourselves into a shape that we think is going to be pleasing to others but doesn't necessarily match our inner voice so well mm-hmm. and it eventually will erupt into like an alarm bell that catches our mm-hmm. attention. So for me, that alarm bell was physical pain. It was migraine attacks. I'm curious for you if you identify with that idea of an alarm bell in your story, because it's it's tough to steer away from what you've been doing by routine for a long time. Yeah, I do really identify with that. I think I had started experiencing um, that alarm bell in my last you know, I talk about this job that I, that ended in a painful way, but the whole year and a half leading up to it was incredibly stressful. And I was seeing the alarm bell. And I think in a lot of ways, one was just, um, I don't know that it would, you know, clinically be diagnosed as a nervous breakdown, but just a tremendous amount of anxiety to the point where I was having to like, struggling with like breathing, And like small things were completely overwhelming. I was having trouble sleeping at night and then just realizing I was deeply unhappy and I felt trapped. And because, um, you know, a big part of my learning since has been realizing how much when I took on this belief system, it was really divorced from myself as a whole person, um, and you know now looking back i can say, i can see so clearly that alarm bell was trying to get my attention that the life i was projecting was not matching my inner life um and so in a sense while losing that job was extremely painful and all that it represented it was also a huge relief because it allowed me to finally drop any pretense and to just purely be the self I was inside without having to perform um, for anybody. Yeah, I really, I really resonate with that description. Another like theme that you've mentioned is this idea of identity and that like this whole world was your identity. That's something that I also think really relates to many, maybe not all, but many folks' chronic pain recovery experience. Because for many people who've been living with chronic symptoms for a long time, there's this identity that develops, you know, and the identity might look different for different people, but it might be something like I am um, disabled or I am broken or I, you know, I am a person with chronic migraine you know, and this is how I understand my life. And it actually might, like, holding that identity might help folks make sense of life. Like, why are certain things more difficult for me than others? Stuff like that. And when, um, a lot of times when folks embark on this mind-body recovery process, in a weird way, there's a fear of of recovering Mm -hmm. in some way. Because, without that identity, like, who am I going to be now? That can be actually pretty scary. And I can see you nod your head. So I'm curious if you relate to that and also like how you navigated that. Yeah, no, I, I very much relate to that. Um, and that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think I, I would have said the phrase, I am a Christian not I believe in Christianity or Christianity is a part of my life. I would have said, I am 
a Christian. Um, and so when I first started asking questions, um, I was a hundred percent thinking, oh, I, I am a Christian, but I am just looking for a purer version of Christianity. And that's where I needed to start. Um, I think, you know, to, to tag on to the story I was telling earlier, I think when I, having had experienced so many painful things in so many different Christian institutions, um, a big turning point for me was to realize that perhaps I had always thought it was my fault that was like, oh, there's something wrong with me. Like I'm not praying enough. I'm not faithful enough. I'm not forgiving enough. I'm not willing to let this go. And I am the reason why I'm in pain. And I think going to therapy was really helpful because for the first time I had an outside observer validate my emotionally painful experiences and say, Mm -hmm. no, that, that was hurtful. That should hurt. That wasn't right. You, you, that wasn't fair. You were in the right there and they should have treated you better. That was the first step in me starting to believe my own experiences more than what the system was telling me to keep me in line. Um, And that was huge. And I think for me, that was the beginning of being willing to divorce myself from an identity because for the first time I started believing myself more than what other people had told me I should believe. And if if what I believe, what if I was experiencing, if my lived experience was at odds with something that I had heard in a sermon once when I was 14 at Christian Bible camp, I believed my lived experience over that teaching. So as I progressed through that, it became really scary to yeah. start having bigger and bigger questions. It's one thing to be like, oh, well, I'm just going to find a different church or I'm going to change this small view within my Christianity. But as I got further along, I started challenging some of the very core things that would make me a Christian at all. Like, who was Jesus really? Do I really believe the Bible? And as I educated myself more and more, those things became less and less certain. And I think that was the big thing to say, I am a Christian carried with it a ton of certainty that I knew the truth and that I was on the right side of the truth. And I based my whole sense of confidence and security in this set of beliefs that I was lucky enough to have found. And when that certainty faded, I felt adrift. Yeah. So as I started processing that I became really nervous to believe anything new or to trust myself. If I was so certain before, and now I think I was wrong, like, how do I even believe myself again? (laughs) Like when I was, when I, I have proven to myself to be so vulnerable to influences by other people. How do I trust myself that I'm just not being influenced again on the other side? So as a huge turning point for me then was at some point realizing that instead of like, okay, I've left this one super established thing and now I'm kind of in the wilderness And I was kind of like looking for another established thing to go to and yet also nervous because what if I picked the wrong one again? What if I was duped again? Um, I'm not saying that all Christians are duped, but I certainly was duped into believing things that weren't in my best interest. Um, And the big aha moment I had was realizing that I don't need to go find another thing to call my own. Um, my identity became less about the object of what I believe and more about the process of how I approach finding beliefs or my love for exploring the mystery of spirituality became my identity instead of, oh, I believe this and that's what makes me me. I believe 
that. And that's what makes me me. No, it's like, no, I am someone who likes to explore different beliefs. And that is what makes me me. This is so fascinating to me. And again, I'm just like, yes, this is why I was attracted to your work, because I, in my view, anyway, I see so many parallels and the parallel that is coming to my mind right now, it might seem kind of odd, but it's to me, there's a parallel in how many of us are raised and trained to view medical doctors as a trusted authority. Mm. And I'm not saying, you know, that to say like that they're untrustworthy, but we, but my point is we're trained to trust them blindly mm. over our own intuition and, and not even to really check in with our own intuition about our body and our well-being, but rather just to say like, well, I'm going to go to the doctor and see what they say. And like, they know everything about me. And there can be kind of like a comfort and a peace in that idea, sort of, I mean, maybe sort of similar to like giving over your faith to a higher power in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, And a a really core element of mind-body symptom recovery is taking back that power, taking back that autonomy and that Mm -hmm. choice. And it it doesn't necessarily mean that now you're going to say like, you know, all Western medicine is bunk, although you might. And that's kind of the point, like you might, or you might say, no, there's a ton that I find useful, but I find it useful. I'm not just going along with it because someone else told me to. Yeah. Wow. That's really fascinating. Just that sense of like daring to believe yourself and taking responsibility for it when we're, like you said, taught from an early age to discount ourselves because we're not trustworthy and we need someone older and wiser and maybe even more male to tell us that, um, tell us what's really true with us and that our feelings are just getting in the way or Absolutely. Yeah. Someone more white, more male or more whatever the trappings of authority are Mm -hmm. that we've been indoctrinated with. Yeah. Yeah. I got chills when you said that (laughs) because in, in my opinion, and, you know, I think it's that undoing of the reliance on external authority over internal authority. That is the work of mind body recovery, Mm -hmm. or at least that's a big facet of it. And oh, were you about to say? I was. I was just thinking. It's. I think about this a lot. It's interesting because at the end of the day, we we have always had autonomy, but for a long time, we just chose to put these people in the highest position for whatever reason. We thought we had to. We feared punishment if we didn't. Yes. Um. And so to realize that, like, no, I the autonomy has always been mine. I have always had it. I'm just going to decide now that I want to like reprioritize whose voice goes to the top a little bit, but I've always had it. It's always been mine and I can take it back. And what you just said is really, I think beautifully leads into the next question I wanted to ask because you spoke about like the reasons, the very, you know, understandable reasons why we might fear um, listening to our own voice. We might fear punishment. We might fear being ostracized or rejected from our community. Mm-hmm. And um, and that can be scary because we might even experience our mm-hmm. community rejecting us. Like that, that's mm-hmm. a real possibility for some folks. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a deter- it can be a deterrent to recovery. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious how you dealt with that because I I know that you dealt with that in like it was not a pain-free experience going yeah. on the, the transitional journey you've been on. Well, I think my experience ends up being different than a lot of people I work with because I sort of had the community stripped away from me before mm-hmm. I embarked on this. So 
I think that's actually one of the reasons I was able to think so critically and objectively because I had already lost everything. I didn't have anything significant left to lose. Um, I lost a ton of friends, my job, you know, my career that I had been working towards for how many years. Um, so in that sense, again, as again, it was just like a kind of a weird relief and a gift that I was like, finally, I can just like think my own thoughts. And I didn't realize how hungry I was to do that. But there was a lot of fear that came into play when it, when it became less about just, oh, let's tweak a thing here or there. And more like, wow, I actually don't know if I can consider myself a Christian at all, leaving behind that label, leaving behind that you know, everybody I've ever known has known this about me. So sort of this, um, yeah, sort of facing the, the humiliation, I guess, mm-hmm. of knowing that some people are going to think like, I know what they're going to think of me because it's what I thought of other people who are going through what I'm going through. So, um, having to face that and, you know, I did have, it was challenging, um, my parents have been incredibly supportive. They continue in the belief system I've left, but they have been incredibly supportive, which is actually quite rare. Um, and a lot of the coaching I do. And I, I honestly think if I didn't have support from my partner, who's on the same page as me and my, you know, my parents and family respecting and giving me space for this, I don't think I could do the work I do because the internal conflict would be too great. But because I have that, I'm able to kind of be the one who's like, all right, let me say all the crazy things I'm thinking. And you who can't say it out loud can just find me and like my post, you know? Um, so I think for me, the real, the, the way I have dealt with the fear that has come up, um, cause there have been some key points. It, it was, I was very afraid to actually come out and say, I don't think I'm a Christian at all anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think having been through what I had been through, the pain of not being honest with myself was greater than the pain of what I would lose by being honest. Like yeah. I had lost so much of myself it did by denying myself and by denying what was going on. And I was so completely unwilling to return to that, that it almost didn't matter what I lost. And, you know, the whole like, well, if you're, if they're not your friends, when you tell the truth, then they're probably not your friends, you know, <laughs> like, like it's, it was very, very revelatory experience, I guess you could say, because when you really tell the truth about your experiences and people react, you're not creating um, division or drama between people. You're just revealing what's already been there and what you've been doing the work to conceal. And you're just not willing yeah. to do the work to conceal it anymore. I'm really latching onto that word, word concealment because this is another big theme. Like, I mean, if you just tap into your body and like just notice how does your body embody that word concealment, how I experience it is like just a tightening of my my shoulders and my muscles and my fists, like this contracting um, the body in, in stress. It's a stress mm-hmm. response. Yeah. Um, you know, what I'm I'm wondering is because as you described, your experience was sort of unusual compared to many of the people you coach in that it wasn't really a decision you made to stray from this path and and lose all these people. It it sort of happened to you. Um and I'm curious how how you approach clients who are feeling some tension, wanting to make a change, but it, it hasn't happened to them. And so it would really be a choice on their part, which can be very conflictual. Well, I actually don't know anybody who is like, I know, let me stop believing everything that gives my life meaning and comfort. I don't know anybody who has come into this willingly. Um, in that sense, I think it's more people make a choice when things are revealed to them, they chose, you know, when, when they see conflict, they either choose to ignore it and stuff it, which 
you and I both know what happens to, to yeah. dissonance that you stuff and conceal yeah. or they choose to explore it. And so when they, by the time they come to me, they have made the choice to explore it no matter the cost. Um, but I, this is again, where everybody is so different and where, whereas in my Christian experience, it was a very like cookie cutter, like here's what you need to do. If you want to be happy, like first read your Bible every day. Second, go to church every week, three, be in a small group. It was like a very cookie cutter prescription for a happy life. And it was even, even when I believed it all, it never worked for me. <laughs> and I, I didn't think it, I had a hunch it didn't work for a lot of people. So on this side of things, whenever I am coaching someone, I always, we always want to prioritize like what's good for them. If they are in a setting, you know, I remember one client had, you know, a partner who going to church was very important to the family's, um, you know, peace, peacefulness. Yeah. And so we had to work through a way to make that compromise in a way that honored, you know, her autonomy while still allowed her to be a supportive partner. And, um, and, and it was the sitting in which he, you know, her partner was willing to work with her as well. Um, but there are some people who I won't advise to be very public about their beliefs just yet because they don't need the extra conflict. There are people who, um, you know, we may encourage, we may kind of collectively decide that like, you know, is that friendship really like, like is having to explain yourself this often? Like, is this friendship mm -hmm. really one you want to prioritize? And, um, so it's always following their lead, Yeah, but I think different measures can be right for different people at different times. And I wouldn't recommend what I do and how I've coped and processed to, to everyone. That makes so much sense to me that it's the, like a black or white, only this or only that approach is, is not what's most supportive to people. And the analogy that comes to my mind in chronic pain recovery is that the, the, concepts of mind body though the mind body approach to chronic pain recovery is very very different from the medical approach that most of us were raised with and in you know mm -hmm. trained to believe was the only way and when a person starts to shift into this mind body approach if their family is not in sync with that which is most often the case that the family's you know, not on the same wavelength because it's not the dominant point of view. Um, there can be conflicts that arise. And like sometimes, you know, what another way of describing the the kind of goal in chronic pain recovery work is establishing feelings of safety in the nervous mm -hmm. system, allowing the mm -hmm. nervous system to settle. Mm -hmm. So sometimes what's gonna help the nervous system feel safer is to stand up for ourselves and say, hey, you can't talk to me this way anymore. Like, this is what I'm doing. You respect it or don't, but like back off. Mm -hmm. it, for other people or in other situations, that's going to create more feelings of danger and the conflict is going to create, you know, more unsettled feelings. And yeah. it might feel safer to say, you know what, I'm going to talk about this in this like support group that I'm part of right. with people who get me and with my family, I'm just going to you know, keep this, they don't need, I need to talk about this yes. with them right now at this stage in my journey. Yeah, that is, that is so similar. And it all just comes back to like, like you said, this feeling of safety and learning to get out of that binary of thinking that, that something's yeah. either good or it's bad or it's right or it's wrong or it's, you know, um, and just like always letting, always deferring to that inner self and saying like, what do you want to do? <laughs> like, what sounds yeah. good to you today? Like, okay, it's been a day. Does this still sound good to you today? Has this served us well? Or do we, is it time to try something new and not even within ourselves, not locking into any one thing, but having like a fluid, flexible approach to where, where I'm at as like a dynamic living being, 
I, I don't know. I, I see, I feel like there's a lot of ways we don't realize that sort of this like post-war American engineering modernist philosophy of life has just embedded in us, which is that like, we see life and ourselves as needing to fit into all these really neat compartments. And that's just not how most humans work. It can be a way to control things, certainly a way to control other people. But most of us are just like, kind of like oozing all around the edges all the time, you know, like we're just blobby and we need the freedom to like be blobs and be in all different categories, depending on the day. The freedom to be alive and not a a machinery part, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love how you tied that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, we're, we're, we've got a little bit of time left and I, I do want to ask about this, which is, um, there's a thing that happens for a fair number of folks who've been in chronic, you know, chronic symptoms for many years, and they've tried many different medical interventions. And oftentimes I'll hear people say, I knew in my gut that that surgery or that medical intervention, you know, didn't feel safe to me or it wasn't the right thing. And in hindsight, it, I've decided it wasn't the right thing. And there's this feeling of like, I've betrayed myself Mm. by just following other people's rules against my own intuition. And it can be hard to reconcile with the the shame and the regret and the anger at oneself that can come up around that. And I'm curious how you relate to that and how you've navigated that sort of thing. Yeah, that comes up a lot in my community too. People looking back and whether it's something like, oh, cringe, I can't believe I like said that to that person trying to convince that person to become a Christian or, or like, oh, wow, I was complicit in some really harmful stuff that went down that caused trauma in another person's life because I was just blindly following this, um, this set of practices and this culture that I was a part of. Um, I, I am still wrestling through how to deal with the things in which I was really complicit in harming someone, but there's a lot of the, the pieces of it, um, in terms of just my own self and how things affected me, I found it really comforting to kind of go back to sort of like our, I guess you could call it like our evolutionary biology and how we are social beings. So I look at myself when I was a kid, I was born into a family that was very Christian at the time. I, and I just adopted that belief system. And there was a season where I was like, I like never even had the choice. My parents didn't expose me to other religions. Like, um, how could I have believed this so blindly for so long? And one thing I found really helpful is to remember that like, No, as a child, especially, and as a young person and a young adult, I am in a a community, I'm in a tribe, for lack of a better word, and my survival requires me to adopt the values of my tribe, to adopt the beliefs, to be in synchronicity, is that the word, (laughs) to be be like-minded and the beliefs of value of the community I was a part of, because otherwise I'll get kicked out, which means I don't get food and shelter. That's like the, you know, if we look back at like early humanity, that was the reality. And so it was actually, I have come to to believe now it was good for me as a child to be a Christian in my Christian family, to be a part of this community that was raising me, that I was, you know, I was able to grow and thrive and look, develop my own mind that at now as an adult, I can look back critically and say, oh, I disagree with some of those things. But there's a sense of like accepting that if it wasn't that set of beliefs, it would have been another. Yeah. You know, and I would have, um, there's a lot to be said for doing the best you have with the information you have at the time. Um, and And just like realizing that as humans, like we can't 
know the future. It's called hindsight for a reason. And um, like, would I go to a Christian college again? No. But that at the time, even, you know, on the brink of adulthood, that seemed to me to be the best thing. And even situations that I felt unsettled about. This last job I talk about that ended, I actually felt really unsettled about accepting that job in the first place. For a long time, I was really convinced that the reason I was in pain was because I said yes to something that I wasn't settled about. And I had a lot of guilt about that and a lot of anger at myself and a lot of regret. And I really had to work hard to like really even like go back in my own journals and be like, where was I at this moment? Like, At that moment, I was like, my second kid had just been born. Financially, we were a mess. And I really did like, this was the only option in front of me to give my kids healthcare, to, to, you know, feed everybody, to have a place to live. And so, yeah, okay. Like I, I didn't feel a ton of peace, but it was the only option that I could do. And I made the best choice and now I'm here and I can, I'm an adult. And I can deal with the responsibilities and the consequences of that choice, even if it ended up being not one I would make again. That's, I find it so beautiful hearing what you described. And I'm, I'm going to share my interpretation and in how okay. I would translate <laughs> it to like a common chronic pain experience, which is a lot of folks when they first learn that these people they first learn, oh, I've got these people pleasing behaviors. I didn't even know that. Okay. Now I see like, I'm always doing these people pleasing behaviors. And now I'm learning that, oh no, these people pleasing behaviors are contributing to chronic stress held in my body. And that's fueling these symptoms. And then there's oftentimes a lot of anger at self and self-blame of like, oh crap, I've ruined my life by doing these people pleasing behaviors that are impacting me negatively. But the wisdom that I'm taking from your story, and I'm going to translate it into this story, (laughs) is like, what if actually these people-pleasing behaviors are some of the things that kept you safe enough to survive and live and actually miraculously develop into a person who is starting to become strong enough and independent enough to start thinking about now unlearning and shedding these people pleasing behaviors, but maybe you wouldn't have gotten to that point without them. Yeah, absolutely. I, that's where, that's where I've landed with a lot of it too. It's like, well, I had to get get here somehow. And in this world, there's really no perfect or pain-free way to arrive here. So agreed. Be that as it may, I am here. What capacities do I have now? And how can I make peace with the past? And that is, that's a a lot of the work I do in coaching too, is just making peace with the past and how I've gotten here. Yeah. As we're winding down this conversation, which I am enjoying so much, um, I just feel like there's so much richness we can get from interdisciplinary conversations like this. Um, If you had a soapbox message or like a message that you feel currently passionate about spreading through the work that you do, what might one of those messages be at this Mm -hmm. particular point in time? I think just that calling and returning to our personal autonomy. Um, So many different voices out there, even outside of the religious realm where I do most of my work, are just looking to tell us what to do, tell us what the right or wrong thing is, to sell us something, and to just understand that One, it's always up to me. Like, even if I'm not consciously making a decision about who to trust, I am the one deciding who I trust. And that 
when we can own who we are, both in our strengths and also in our limitations, I believe that's like what really frees us to live our most fulfilling lives and to also have the biggest impact on the world, which needs some impact. (laughs) I love that. And again, really strongly resonating with that, that message of personal autonomy. Most folks and myself included when first coming into you know, seeking recovery from chronic symptoms through a mind-body approach. We're mostly looking for like, I got to find the right Mm -hmm. techniques to use, the right person to follow and all this stuff. And what winds up building through the process is that Mm self-trust, listening to the inner voice and finding safety there. Mm -hmm. Um. Joy, I so appreciate the work that you're doing. I appreciate the education that I'm getting through following your work. And I thank you for giving your time here and having this conversation. Yeah, likewise. This has been really fascinating for me. And I think that there are likely a lot of people in my audience who are dealing with chronic pain as a symptom of their own spiritual um, experience. So I think this is this mind body school connection is all very relevant as humans. Yeah, I would think so as well. Well, I look forward to continuing to follow your work and hopefully speak again soon. Yes, same. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Joy as much as I did. And if you'd like to find out more about Joy and her work, you can find her on Instagram at Joy Vetterline or visit her website, joyvetterline.com. You can find those links in the show notes. Hey friends, it's Anna. Let me ask you something. If you're struggling with chronic symptoms, Have you ever felt like pulling your hair out and screaming, why the bleep am I still in pain? That's definitely what I was asking earlier on in my recovery. So I can totally empathize and I would love to help you get some clarity. So I've created a quiz just for you that's called, why the bleep am I still in pain? And yes, you can take this quiz even if your symptoms are not pain specifically. Just head to my website, annaholtzman.com, and you'll see a big old button there that says take the quiz. So why don't you head there right now before you forget? And if you found this episode helpful, please go rate and review the podcast. That helps other people who are struggling with chronic symptoms too to find the podcast, and I would appreciate it enormously. Thank you for listening, and until next time, take good care.